Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to have on today Ari Schoengrum, who is a now a renowned speaker. But on September 11th, 2001, he was working for Cantor Fitzgerald, and he found himself on the 78th floor of the World, uh, the World Trade Center. Now, what's, what's shocking is that he was really one of 600 people from his company that were, that were in the building at that time that, that came out unscathed. And the harrowing experience launched him into a career of service and helping others and taking this experience and showing how it, this experience for him and how all of the experiences in our lives are opportunities for us to grow and to change. And again, you know, you think to yourself, and, and it's so it's so different and difficult, like you know, the, the current state of the world in a lot of ways, and everyone's gonna try to compare it back to other difficult times in history. And it's fascinating. We actually have someone who has been through a an amazing experience and has been able to translate that tragedy, that harrowing time for good and growth which ultimately is sort of what we're all trying to do. So this is a great one to take notes on. I'm thrilled so much. I appreciate Ari coming on and uh, enjoy our discussion. And one of the things that I'm hoping you will see at this point is that we are extremely focused on living a better life. And one of the most important components of that is getting the direction and the one-on-one -on -one work that you need in order to live better. So I am a strong proponent of coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to please do what many other people have done. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. There's no obligation to you whatsoever uh, to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And if that might not be the case, I would be thrilled to introduce you to any of the multitude of options and networks and people that I know who could provide that help. So again, please reach out via social channels, whatever it might be. I don't think I'm too hard to find. Certainly not, I hope. And, uh, and, and let me know how I could be of benefit to you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with a renowned speaker, someone who has been very inspiring to so many people, Ari Schonbrunn, who is joining me today from, uh, from quarantine in, uh, in New York. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm thrilled to have you on. Thanks for having me. So, so for those that aren't familiar, you have one of the most harrowing stories uh, during one of the most harrowing times in uh, the country's history. I would venture to say one of those watershed moments that you know now we can tack COVID on as, as another one of those watershed moments, but certainly uh, something that's changed fundamentally the face of American foreign policy and in, in many cases, your personal life, uh, which was your experience on September 11th. Maybe tell me a little bit about sort of how you got to working uh, with, with Cantor Fitzgerald on the high floors of, uh, of, of, the, of the World Trade Center and, and sort of your experience, then really how it sort of unleashed the, the current iteration of you today. Sure. So I started to work for Cantor in 1993, end of 93. Um, I, by the way, I, I missed that first bombing. Okay, because that first bombing was in February of 93. You're like, it's not gonna happen again. Might as well, might as well start working here. Yeah, uh, I started, I joined them in October of 93. Um, and I've been working, I've been working for them through, I actually just left them uh, three years ago. Uh, actually three years, three years and a month right now. Um, so 
I was working, I was working for Canada. We occupied the top five floors of Tower One of the World Trade Center, the North Tower. My office was on, uh, was on the, was on 101, 101st floor. Magnificent views, incredible, <laughs> incredible. You can see Kennedy Airport from my office. It was, it was like really, really cool. Um, and on that day, uh, it was, it was like 27 in the morning. And I had my briefcase over my shoulder, I had my cup of coffee in my hands, and I was started to walk out the door saying goodbye to my wife and kids. And uh, my wife stopped me because I was supposed to do a book order with my son, and I didn't do it. And she said, you can't leave the house until you do this book order with him. Uh, I spent 20 minutes negotiating with him, and I finally left, and it cost me about 40 minutes. I didn't get to the trade center until 20 minutes to nine. I was not a happy camper, I'm going to be honest with you. I was really upset with my wife. Of course, when I got home that night, I was loving her all over the place, but that's to be understood. So I got to the trade center about 20 to 9, and I got into an elevator. Um, you couldn't take an elevator up to 101. It wasn't an express to 101. You had to take an elevator to 78. 78 was a sky lobby, and you would switch for elevators to get to the upper floors, and I got into the elevator, there was an elevator that came down on the right side of the lobby, I got into it, took me up to the 78th floor, made a left, and started to go to the elevators that I needed to get to my office, and all of a sudden, I thought a bomb had gone off in the elevator. The entire building shook. The lights went out, the place filled with smoke, and I was literally thrown off my feet. And I gotta tell you, I was scared. I had, I had never been that scared in my life. Um, I ultimately, bumped into a coworker of mine who was on the elevator that I was about to get on when the plane hit and she had suffered third degree burns. Her hair was singed, her clothes were burned. She had third degree burns up and down her arm. She was a wreck. And she saw me and she said to me, Ari, please help me. Whatever you do, please don't leave me. And I said, Virginia, I promise I will not leave you. I will help you and we will get out of here. By the way, we weren't very good friends at the time. Um, as a matter of fact, she was an internal auditor. She almost got me fired the year before. <laughs> So it was, it was a little bit of a test for me, but uh, I think I passed with flying colors because I did actually, we walked down seven, eight flights of stairs. We got out of the building. What, what, as, this, as this is happening, like, what are, you, what are you thinking? Like, do you have any idea what happened? Like, what's, what's going on in your mind? So I, we didn't know what happened at first. Um, we didn't know what happened at first. Uh, as we were, I, it's a long story. It really is a long story. But as we were walking down the stairs, my cell phone actually rang, which was a miracle in and of itself because there was never any signal in that building. And here I was in the middle of a stairwell in the middle of the building on a day there was no signal anywhere. My phone rang. I picked it up. I went, hello? It was my wife on the other end of the phone. And she was telling me, she was crying. And she was telling me something about a plane going into the building. I had no idea what she was talking about. I said, Joyce, I'm in a stairwell, I'm on the 75th floor, I'm on my way down, now is not a good time. I said, I'll call you when I get out of the building and I hung up the phone. Now the good thing about that was the fact that at least I knew that she knew that I wasn't killed when the plane hit. So that was very comforting. Um, there was not much going on. I mean, we were walking, we weren't, we weren't walking very fast, Virginia and I, because of the burns and everything else. But um, we got down, we got down to the 50th floor and she told me she can't go on. And I started to coach her telling her, no, you can do this. And we kept going on. Um, we ultimately got out of the building and 
um, I, I, I'll never forget, because I asked the cop, I said, I have a burn victim, what should I do? He says, go across the street in front of the Millennium Hotel. We're setting up a triage center. And he says, there'll be ambulances there. So I, I took her across the street. Sure enough, an ambulance pulls up and I get her into the ambulance. What was interesting, then I turned around, I saw the buildings on fire. And I turned to a guy standing next to me. And I said, how did building two get on fire? And the guy looks at me like, what, are you kidding me? See, I never heard the second plane. And people look at me like I'm crazy. They said, how's that possible? I mean, it was a roaring, you know. I was so focused on the task at hand. You know, it was my survival, it was Virginia, that I had blocked everything else out. I never heard that second plane. Guy looks at me, says to me, two jetliners went into the business. They're calling a terrorist attack. I'm going like, oh my God. I'm really nervous. I'm trying to call my wife. I'm trying to call Virginia's mom to let her know. She gave me the number to let her know that she was okay. I couldn't get signaled. Um, they didn't leave, by the way, until they filled the ambulance. I originally said, you know, how come you know, we're not going? This is, oh, we, we can't leave until we fill the ambulance. We can, they wanted to put at least six, seven, or eight people into the ambulance before they took off. Uh, Virginia was like writhing in pain. She was just like, oh, I can't do this. Anyway, we finally get to the point where the, uh, the, uh, the EMT there says, okay, we can, we can go. We're ready to go. So... Virginia turns to me, she says to me, Ari, you're coming with us. Now, I didn't want to get into that ambulance because I didn't know where they were going, where, you know, to be, you know, look, I was in a place where I knew where I was. If I had to get someplace else from where I was, I would know how to do that, right? Because this is where this, I'm huge. The thought of getting into the ambulance and going to who knows where didn't excite me. And besides, you know what, once that ambulance leaves, there's only one place I'm going, and that's back into the building because I'm looking for my friends, I'm looking at coworkers, I'm looking to help, that's just my nature. So I said, Virginia, you don't need me anymore. I'm gonna get a hold of your mom, she'll meet you at the hospital, you're gonna be okay. She literally turned to the ambulance driver and says, we're not leaving unless he comes with us. And the ambulance driver looks at me and I look at him and I see in his eyes, he's thinking, buddy, this is not a cab service. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't need a cab. He says, I said, you know what, maybe for our own psychological well-being, maybe I should, maybe I should go. And he says, Fine, hop into the front. And I got into the front of an ambulance and we pulled away. We were one of only a few ambulances that actually got away from the scene that day. You know, Virginia thanks me every day for saving her life. And I say, you got it all wrong. Who saved whose life? If she wouldn't have insisted that I get into that ambulance, I would have been standing at the base of that building. When it came down, I'd be dead. No doubt in my mind. But she insisted. And that's why I'm around today. The, the one of the concepts that I mean, you were one of four that survived out of it's what it was like six hundred people that worked in your building or worked. No, there there were the no there were nine hundred. We employed nine hundred and sixty people on the top five floors. Okay, six hundred and sixty-two of them were actually in the building that day. Okay. Hundred and fifty-eight were in their offices on the upper floors and four were on their way up, all right? Basically on the 78th floor when the plane hit. And three of them were so severely burned, they spent months and months in hospitals undergoing surgeries and rehabilitation. And I walked out without a scratch. God was just looking out for me that day. One of the, one of the components that um, I heard, I've heard often as I follow a lot of military personnel and, and there's this tremendous survivor's guilt either on, on, on both ends. First of all, like I interviewed a guy who, who 
was his, he flies the Thunderbirds and his F-16 crashed. And just the experience of like, how in the world, like how do I make it out of an airplane and survive? And that's one component. On the other hand, you hear people that, you know, they're one of, you know, A, there's the idea of making it out of something you shouldn't have made it out of. And the second thing is you made it out and nobody else did or very few other people did. So it's almost on both ends, there's like this, did you have a sense of like, survivor guilt a sense of like why me like what how did that how did that manifest itself for you okay so i think why me and survivor's guilt to me are two different things all right i will be very very honest with you okay i do not suffer from survivor's guilt i am so happy that i made it out my family is happy that i made it out okay i do not feel guilty about surviving question is the, uh, the question of why me that's an interesting question now the question of why me what i figured out was um i've got the gift of gab all right i and i am not afraid to stand up in front of an audience you know they say that man's two biggest fears you know what they are number debt one speaking or taxes no number debt, one <laughs> right no, no number one is public speaking and number two is death. Yeah. Those are man's two biggest fears, which means if you're at a funeral, you would rather be in the box than delivering the eulogy. Right. <laughs> um, but I've been given the gift of gab and I've been given the gift that I can stand up in front of a thousand people and tell my story without any fear whatsoever. So I think, you know, I think God wanted me to spread the word, so to speak talk about the miracles that happened, because there were many miracles. I didn't go through a whole lot, you know, it's the time's short, um, but there are many, many miracles. You can read about it in my book, by the way. Um, I wrote a book called Miracles and Fate on 78, and it tells my whole story. And, and in there, you'll, you'll see all the different miracles that happened to me on that day. Um, so I felt that it was important that, you know, I have a mission. I have, I have something that needs to be done and since that, since I started, my first talk was six weeks after the event, believe it or not, when I was uh, invited to speak at a Malava Malka in the neighborhood. Um, and I've been telling my story ever since. And I have been inspiring thousands upon thousands of people. And, you know, that's a big thing. And, you know, I think so. I really believe that I was saved because this needed to be done. That was number one. Can I, can I just, a couple of things, I'm so sorry to interrupt, a couple of things I just wanted to repeat back that, that just popped out for me, that, which were fascinating. First of all, you said that because you quickly saw a mission, you saw a value, you had this sense of yourself that I have these gifts, and then you right away started sharing the experience to inspire other people. Also, you mentioned the fact that you have a family and that you also, I'm assuming this is probably not the first time you thought about God and, and all these kinds of things. You had a, a foundation of your faith. So these were all things that let you walk out of the unthinkable. Not only did it break, again, and it's so important because we're in, again, not to, not to overshare and hopefully people will listen to this for you know years and years in the future, but like we're in a place right now where where people could break all the time because there's so much uncertainty and you certainly don't have a tragedy like losing your whole company and, and September 11th and everything like that. But like people are losing their mind because it says they, they don't have the family. They don't have the sense of self. They don't have that sense of, of their relationship with God. And you had that and it allowed you right away. You, you didn't even hesitate to say, you know, yeah, I, you, like, no, you own that. It's, it's unbelievable. Is that accurate? 
Pretty much. Pretty much okay. so. Keep going. So tell me, tell me. So you, so you, you're about to say a second point, but I probably derailed you. The, the second, uh, no, the second point was um, my wife and I had four children. And after my fourth child was born, the doctor diagnosed my wife with some, one of those women things, whatever. And they told her she wouldn't be able to have any more kids. And, you know, we discussed and we were like, we're fine. You know, we had two boys, two girls, you know, nice family. We were, we were fine with it. Two years after 9-11, which was eight and a half years after my last child was born, my son Yoni came along. And, you know, and, and I, I once, I once went to a, um, a Makubal, right? One of these uh, Kabbalist guys. Uh, and this guy was like the real deal. And it was when my wife was pregnant with my, with my fifth child, with Yoni. And, you know, we were scared. We were older and we were nervous. And we went to this Makubal to get some advice. And he looks at us and he turns to my wife and he said, did you ever lose a child? And my wife said, you know, in between my second and third, um, I actually, I had a, an ovarian cyst and they had to take it out. And it turns out I was six weeks pregnant and they had to terminate the pregnancy in order to take the cyst out. And he looked at us and he said, that neshama is what's in you right now. It wasn't ready to come down then. It's ready to come down now. And that's the same neshama. I would have lost my mind. I I, I, my mind. Yeah, let me tell you, let me tell you, I had chills, shivers down my spine, you know? Cause I, like, how did he know, you know? That's what I'm saying, this guy was the real deal. So I think that, you know, because Yoni needed to be born, that's why I got out. Uh, wow, so I, 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 I that, that perspective also that you see people have a tendency to fold into themselves, it sounds like. And what you've done is you're essentially saying that you have to assign your existence to something that's bigger than you. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, s sacrificing your life on the altar of freedom, so to speak, like, like someone that would go to war. Even raising one child, even making someone's life better. I mean, you've had the opportunity for thousands of people, but, but you would, I'm sure, say that even one person that you can say, I'm there to serve them to make their day life experience better, that justifies what I had to go through and what I, what, me, me being here. Is that accurate? Without a doubt, without a doubt. I always say when I talk, when I get up in front of an audience, I say if I can connect with one person, I've done my job, all right? I just need to connect with one. Now, Baruch Hashem, thank God, I connect with a lot of people, okay? I really do. I, I, you know, I, I get standing ovations every time I speak, uh, which is great. It gives me a lot of, you know, chizuk, gives me a lot of energy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that's really, really important to do. In, in the world of the, we, we see so much that there's, you know, these influencers and that, and that everyone might be saying to themselves, what does it matter? I don't have 100,000, 200,000, 100,000, you know, a million, a million followers. And what you said is, is seemingly the exact opposite of that, which is, it doesn't matter how many followers you have, go to serve one, and everything else on top of that is, is going to be is going to be beneficial. 
Right, correct. You know, it's interesting because there was a, um, a, a Navy Admiral, William H. McRaven. Yeah, he's a big, he's a big, yeah, he's great. You know him? Yeah. So, I mean, he basically said, uh, he gave a commencement speech at the University of Texas. Amazing. And he basically, yeah. you heard that, you heard him? No, 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 tell me, tell me, please. Oh, so he basically said there were like uh, 8,000 students that were graduating. And he basically said that uh, there were studies done that um, each person in their life will meet 10,000 people. They will get to meet 10,000 people. He said, so if you change the life of just one person that you meet, okay, and all 8,000 now change the lives of the 10,000 people that are going to meet, all right, within a, I think he said, within 10 years, I think is that, again, I don't remember the numbers. Um, no, within the next, within the, that generation, within, within three generations, they will have touched 800 million people. So you want to change the world, you know, all you got to do is one person at a time. You know, you do it, it's, it's the multiply, it's the multiplying effect. You know, it's, it's basic, it's a guy said, I like to say it's simple math, you know, but it's, it's so true. It's so true. And I think that people, people are afraid. People are very much afraid. They, they just, a lot of people like to keep to themselves. They don't want to, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a very funny story because I like to make people laugh. I really do. I'm just, I'm a schmoozer. I like to make people laugh. I'll never forget. I, uh, I once got onto an elevator. It's a crowded elevator. Now, when you get onto an elevator, what do you do? You walk in, right? And you turn around, the door closes, and everybody's facing the door, right? Well, I walked into this elevator. I didn't turn around. I stood there. It was a crowded elevator. The doors closed. And right after the doors closed, I went, you're probably all wondering why I called this meeting. Mm. <laughs> Everybody in the elevator laughed, and I guarantee you, each one of those people had a good day that day because their day started off good. Right? And that's why I tell people, you know, start your day off good and the rest of it will be a piece of cake. Look, it's, it's, we live in a tough time now. COVID is, this is not, this is scary. All right. It, it, I think to some degrees, to many degrees, it's scarier than 9-11, right? Because we can't fight it. You know, you can fight terrorism. All right. You can fight an enemy that you can see, but we can't see this enemy. Right. And it's very difficult. So people are going through a lot of difficult times and they just don't know how to cope. And that's one of the things that I do in my, in my, uh, in my new mentoring program. All right. I teach people how to cope, especially in this environment. It certainly pertains to in general, it's much easier when they, when it's not like when the, it's not when the environment isn't like this, but certainly in this, in this, uh, in this environment that we're currently in, um, I teach people how to deal with it, and then I give them the strength, and I give them assignments. I tell them what they what they need to do, and uh, you know, there's there are many many different things that you can do, all right, to stay sane. So, I want to, I want, with your permission, I would love to hear. I want to hear a lot about your course. I right before we transition to that, I wanted to ask one thing that, I guess you have this unbelievably harrowing experience. And a lot of times people think to themselves, maybe I'm thinking back into like the, the, the Jews in the desert in Egypt and kind of always needing that reinforcement. You had this moment that changed your life. 
it seems to me that you've been able to carry that inspiration with you up until the modern time, uh, modern time, whatever it was. It was, it was, you know, years and years and years. What do you attribute? What allowed you to have that experience and to be able to change your life? Because so often people have experiences. Again, within your major story, you, you saw, you know, you, you have millions of little things that happened that could have changed your life if you had paid attention to it, right? But, but, but people have these huge things happen and they just, they're the same person a week later. So how did you keep that inspiration? That's right. You're absolutely right. And by the way, that is one of the things that I teach in my course. Then we went to no. the course already. Great. No, that's, that's one of the things I teach in my program. I don't like to call it a course because it's, it's, it's an eight-week program. But that's one of the things I teach in my, in my program. I'm gonna, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, there was once a story of, uh, I think it was Rav Shach was in a cab once. And, and the cab driver saw him and, and Rav Shach started to make conversation with him. And it turns out this guy, when he, when he finished the army, he went on safari. He and a friend of his, they went on safari. And they were in the jungles of Africa. And all of a sudden, uh, the cab driver was a chiloni. He wasn't, he wasn't religious. He wasn't orthodox. And so they were in the jungles. And all of a sudden, a boa constrictor started to wrap itself around his friend. And his friend started to freak out. And he starts yelling, what should I do? What should I do? So he said, so I told him, I say, say Shema Yisrael, say Shema Yisrael. So he says, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael. And all of a sudden, the boa unwrapped itself and slithered away. And he made a decision right then and there that when he gets back to Israel, he's going to become a Valchuva. He's going to- The friend, the friend who got the- The friend, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to be a Valchuva and he's going to, you know, he's going to be Orthodox and he's going to, you know, raise an Orthodox family, et cetera. So Rav Shach looks at the cab driver and he says, well, what about you? And his response was, well, it didn't happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) So very often, People that see something, all right, it, they've got that attitude of it didn't happen to me. The reason that it stuck with me, and this is very, very important, I didn't change overnight. And I didn't take, and as I was changing, it wasn't large wholesale changes. I didn't say I'm changing my life. I'm going to go to Yeshiva, I'm going to sit and learn. I'm going to, all right, it wasn't like that. As a matter of fact, I was the same guy on, Tuesday, on Wednesday that I was on Tuesday. Nothing for me had changed other than the fact that I lost 658 friends and coworkers, but my life didn't change, so to speak. What happened was, as I started to tell my story and it started to sink in, the miracles that had happened, I realized, oh my God, you know, this is something, this is out of the ordinary. And so slowly, very slowly, I started to change one thing at a time. I took a little bit on more, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And as I went on, I became, I believe I became more religious, all right? But I I believe I became more spiritual. And I was able to keep this going because I did it slowly. All right. You're right. People that, you know, if something happens, I'm going to, and then three days later, they're back to where they were and it's all gone. And what, all right. You can't, you can't, if you try to do it too quick or too much, it's never, ever going to last. You know, it's like starting a diet, right? When you start a diet, what are you going to do? I'm starting a diet. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Okay. You don't lose anything. All right. You're off the diet in a week. All right. It's all over. Right. The, pro- the issue is because it's t- too big. It's too, you can't wrap your arms around it. 
all right? If you say to yourself, I'm gonna lose two pounds next week, that's very doable, all right? And then the following week, you say, you know what? I'm gonna lose two pounds this week, and that's very doable. And you know, within a year, you've lost 100 pounds. I, I, I wanna just get your feedback on, on what, I, it, it makes me emotional what, what, you're, what, you're, what, you, what you said. The power of telling your story, and I think it's, it's, two, it's twofold. Again, we don't need a September 11th, you know, that was your journey. But oftentimes people look at their life, and, and I think what's so beautiful about a lot of, you said a lot of beautiful things, one of the things that I took away from it is by being able to tell your story in a way that's constructive and helps other people. So then you start, it's not really, in a lot of ways, it's not for them because you start to change. And so the way that you've been able to build your, your personal development was by telling your story, by being unique to who you were, by reflecting on your own life circumstances. And for the average, for the average person, you know, again, we don't, we're not trying to replicate you know, these horrific situations again. Would you say that, that everyone should try to do that? Is that something that, that everyone has their, their defining moments and they really have to kind of plug into who they are in order to find that kind of ongoing inspiration? I think everybody does. I really do. I think, you know, we have certain inner strengths that get buried, right? And it, get, it gets buried for a myriad of reasons. People putting you down, people, how many, how often is it that somebody gets, stands up and says, you know what, I've made the decision. I'm going to go into business for myself. I have an idea. All right. And what's the first thing that people do? That'll never work. What do you create? You know, you have a good job. What are you, where, where are you trying? What are you trying to do? And they knock him down. And then he just goes like, oh, you know what? Maybe they're right. Oh, yeah, never mind. Forget it. And they get stuck in, in all right. You've got an inner strength. First, one of the most important things is to, to surround yourself with positive people. Okay. That's really, and that's not easy either because I would say 80 to 90% of the world are very, very negative. They're negative people. All right. And it's very, very difficult, but you have to find those people, the like-minded people that want to do better, that want to be better, you know, family standpoint, from a work standpoint, from, you know, a social life standpoint, this is what, I mean, who doesn't want a better life? Everybody wants a better life. And when I call, and by the way, when I say better, all right, it's not necessarily financially, it could be professionally, it could be personally, you know, your, your, your uh, relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids. Those aren't monetary things, right? But yet they're so important in life. These are, these are the things that, that, that make you successful. You don't have to be a multi-billionaire to consider yourself successful. You can be successful in so many other ways, right? That it's not all about the money. I talk about that a lot. It's not all about the money, right? It's you, your relationships, and, you know, work-life balance. I mean, all of these things, all of these things. And, and, then, and then the money usually tends to follow if you're good with yourself and if you're happy in your life, hopefully speaking. And even if it doesn't, you're okay because you've built wealth around you. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Sometimes the money comes, but you know what? I don't want to tell people, oh, do this and the money will come because you know what? It may not come, but you will be more, you will be more fulfilled. All right. If you, 
if you follow you know the path that I'm that I'm carving out for you you'll feel more fulfilled you may not be you may not be wealthier in money all right but believe me you know what I am wealthier my boss my ex boss my old boss all right who's worth uh, I don't know 3 billion dollars okay I think I'm happier than he is all right I think I'm happier than he is because he's constantly under stress all right, think about it. He runs a multi-billion dollar company. It's, you know, he, he, the, the good times, the bad times, all the things that he goes through, the stress that he's constantly under, all right? I mean, I think that, um, I, th I just think I'm happier than he is, all right? I don't have a, a garage full of, you know, uh, mint cars and, you know, exotic cars and the like, right? but you know what? I need to get to the supermarket and back. Trust me, my rogue is fine. No issue there. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't need all that. So. Do you, so, so amazing. When, so, so, so tell me a little bit more. I, I think also that's so crucial is you're creating a course. You're I'm creating a program. Program. You're creating a program. Yes. And, there are what I, I love it on, on two levels. First of all, the fact that you have such a unique story and you're and you're thinking through how do I help more people? So you went around and you spoke a lot, but now you're like, we're gonna we're gonna drill down and we're actually gonna do it kind of interactive. So so that's one thing that's that's absolutely amazing is that a person has to continually find how do they apply their their story to a to just more and more and more. The second question is there are so many programs out there. Why do you create a new one? Why is that important? I, I have a very clear reason for why I'm asking you this because so many people feel like, well, it's all been done. So like, why should, why should I do something? So tell me why you're doing this. Why now? And why it's important for you? So I, I think that, let's put it this way. There, are, there is room in the world for thousands of programs. Oh. There is. Okay, and the, the fact is, and, and the evidence points it out, why? Because there are thousands of programs, all right? So one more, one less, I don't, you know, there's room for everybody. But my program, the reason I think, one of the reasons I, I did my program was what I teach comes out of a real life experience, all right? A lot of people, they build a program out of the books they read, you know, what they learned in college, you know, all these things, but not anything that they actually went through, right? The most, the, the best, the best speakers, the best motivational speakers are those that went through something. The trials, tribulations. I mean, one of my all-time favorite is Les Brown. Yeah. Um, oh. Les Brown, he's absolutely amazing. And you know what? When he was in eighth grade, they told him he was educatively mentally retarded, right? And, and look where he is today. I mean, if he, he is still alive, right? Uh, he, I, I, saw, I saw him on Facebook Live today, so ho hopefully so. Okay, right. So I think, so my program is built around my personal experiences, all right? That's something that you can't replicate. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You can't build my program because you didn't go through it. So that's why I, that's why I built the program um, in order to be able to, help people understand, you know, what's going on in life, what's going on in their lives and how they can improve it. 
mean, that, that's what it boils down to. It's, you know, it's all about the outcome. All right. Are you going to be better off in eight weeks after my program than you are today? If you do the work, I guarantee it. Okay. People say to me, people say to me, do you give guarantees? I said, sure, I give guarantees. I guarantee that if you don't do this program, you're going to be no better off in eight weeks than you are today. That's my guarantee. For sure. So, so maybe in, in the time we have left, if you could tell me a little bit about what ideally, like a person, if they're thinking about, okay, is it time for me to start to, again, so many people think to themselves, okay, COVID and like, I'm so overwhelmed right now and it's so difficult. And, you know, again, like you brought up, like, how do I cope and how does this whole thing work? So when should a person or how does a person make a decision? I need to go on a, on a, on a path to development. And what, like, what should they be thinking as they go into working on your course or a, a, in general, a, a path of, of growth? Okay, so you, two different questions, right? I'm Jewish. The, that's how it goes. Huh? I said I'm Jewish. That's how it goes. All right. As to the when, the when is easy. Yesterday. Okay. That's the when. Okay. Right? Because let, let's be real, okay? If you have a problem, okay? I'll give you a, 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 an example. You're sick, right? You have some, some, whatever it is, you're not sure what it is, you need to go to the doctor. Okay. Do you want, are you going to go to the doctor today to take care of it? Or are you going to say, no, you know what? I'm going to get better all by myself. Right. And then a week goes by and two weeks go by and you're still sick. Right. It's like, you need to go to the doctor. No, I, you know, I, I got it. I can't, I got it. Yeah. Okay. That's what people do. All right. In jet, it, that, that's what they do with their lives. All right. I need, my life needs to get better. Well, what are you doing to make it better? Well, you know, you know the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's insanity. But yet, that's what people do every single day. Every single day. All right? They don't do anything to help them with those changes. So when do you need it? You need it yesterday. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't have to be my program. Right? I, I personally believe everybody needs inspiration. Everybody needs motivation. You don't like me, that's okay. All right, there, there are plenty of guys out there that you can go to. I mean, I hope you'll come to me because I think I'm really, really good and I'm really, I can really help you, all right? But if you don't, okay, not a big deal. There, there, there are seven billion people in the world, okay? Trust me, you're not gonna be the guy that's gonna make me go broke by not joining. Anyway, so that's that. What was your second question? Second question is, um, I, I don't recall, but th that was such a good, that was such a good answer. Okay, great. So then maybe tell me a little bit more how, how people can find out more about you, about your program, next steps. Very easy. Um, if they want to find out about my program, they can just uh, schedule a call with me. All right. And it's very easy to find that. It's uh, www.callwithari.com. Okay. <laughs> www.callwithari.com. They have to just go to that link. It'll take them right to my calendar. They can click on a uh, click on a, a date and time that they want to talk, and we'll get the dialogue started. It's outstanding. I, I, I this was so wonderful. I really appreciate you making the time to come speak. And and I, any anyone that's listening, I, I so encourage the course, the book. 
everything. Thank you so much. It's really profound. Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.